Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. I, uh, I feel like we say this a lot, but, uh, you know, because God does neat stuff, but I feel like the worship team stole my sermon notes. And uh, just what a neat deal to, when you really get to see uh, palpably that God's at work and He's doing something, that, you know, this morning. I, uh, I was thinking about this phrase this last week. We... We say, and I think it's good. There's good intent in it. I don't want to be overly critical on it by any means, but we we do this a lot in prayers of like God be here with us this morning. And I think that there can be something good in inviting God, but for our goodness, not because God's not already here. God is already here. It's good for us to invite Him, but He's here. He's at work, and I'm I'm definitely seeing and hearing Him at work already, just in what He's been doing through my mind and heart the last couple of days and then getting to see how he did the same thing through the worship team. So I really hope that I don't get in the way of that. I really feel like God's prepared something neat for you guys today, not because of anything on my part, but just because I feel like he's moving. So I really hope that you open your minds and your hearts and you hear what he has to say. Amen. I was asked to share about the practicals of worship, which I was particularly excited about. Some of you know, some of you don't know. Music has always been a huge part of my life. Um, I listen to music everywhere I go. My taste is very eclectic, very weird. My friends have always laughed at my taste, and uh, rightly so. I mean, maybe one minute I'm listening to, listening to like Celine Dion, and then maybe Tina Turner, and then maybe Run DMC. You, you don't know what you're going to get, but uh, I, I appreciate worship. I appreciate that art, and I appreciate how it points us beyond ourselves. I was saying to Jamie on the other day, I don't really remember what I was listening to. I feel like maybe it was like Creedence Clearwater. Any, any fans? I'm, I'm old in my taste, but I was just trying to share with her just how sublime it is. Can you relate to that? Just you're listening to music and it's just sublime. It's transcendent. There's something really neat about it. I think often about N.T. Wright talking about just broken signposts in our world. And beauty is just one of those things that we've broken in a lot of ways, but just points beyond our world to something else. I just find such transcendence in, uh, in beauty and in, in song uh, in particular. And so it's been on my mind already, so I was excited when I was given this topic. Coming up with practicals for something like this was a little bit different because it's hard to just tell somebody what to do to go worship. You guys know this, and so I'm definitely going to talk about it today, but uh, I'm not going to try to strain it too much, but worship is a lot more than singing. Amen. It's a lot more than singing. So we got to get at the heart of the matter, which is what we sang about this morning. And I'm going to share those lyrics in my sermon today as well. I was thinking about Tori this week when I was doing this this, um, sermon prep. And one of the things I was thinking about is just how appreciative I am of Tori being willing to sing to us in her sermons. Outside of Ronnie. Tori's a little better at singing than Ronnie. But it does take a lot of boldness, it takes a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of love to do something like that in your sermons. And I just want to thank Tori for that. But the thing that, yeah, you can clap. But I think that you guys can agree with me, what makes it most beautiful is not her voice, although her voice is beautiful. What makes it most beautiful is that she sings a really neat song with her life. She sings her life to God. What does your life sing? What does your life sing? What does it sound like? Does it catch the attention of God? Gordon Dahl wrote this book a long while back. It's called uh, 
what's called Work, Play, and Worship in a Leisure-Oriented Society. I've not read the book, but I came across this quote. He just said, most people tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. That's what we're talking about here today is we want to get that back in order, that we worship the right things because so often we're worshiping things and we don't realize we're worshiping them. That's the tricky thing about it. Many of you are familiar with Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, the gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And a man will worship something. Have no doubt about that either. He may think that his tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of his heart, but it will out. That which dominates will determine his life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. That's powerful. And it has the ring of truth to it because it is true. We have to be careful what we worship. And we have to perfect it. And we have to understand who it is we worship and why we worship and how we worship. And so that's really what I want to talk about today. I tried to keep this super simple. So I'm going to talk about what is worship. My second point is just simply, I have to look at it to make sure I'm right. My second point is why we worship. And my third point is how we worship. And I'm going to give you very fast, 10 principles and practicals. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have told you that till the end, but uh, I'm going I'm to be quick. Most of these, and I feel like that's the thing about practicals. Most of them are self-explanatory. They don't really need to be flushed out, but they need to be remembered and they need to be enacted. So what is worship? I appreciated Aaron's reading from Romans this morning. Romans 12, 1 to 2, this is going to be the text I'm going to jump off of. And, and I think many would agree, probably in all of Scripture, this is the best definition and description that we have of worship. Well, there are a lot of good ones to use. But Romans 12, 1-2 says this, Therefore I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I was doing my best. I've been reading a lot about preaching lately. And one of the suggestions that I read was just trying to read the text for the first time naively. Read it with fresh eyes. And that can be difficult when you're coming to text that you've read a lot. Perhaps um, you feel like you already know. And I was trying to do that and, you know, just I'm not going to break this down and spend a lot of time interpreting. That's not really the the purpose of this uh, sermon today. But I wanted to try to look at it with fresh eyes and look at the words that stuck out to me. And the first one was mercies. Mercies. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. What are the mercies of God? When you think about the mercies of God, are they in view? What are those things? You could give a whole series on the mercies of God. How do I define that for you in a moment? It's the fact that we we serve a living God that offers you a real, in-moment, living, real power to come and touch you in moments that you need healing when you're suffering. He speaks to us. He calls us. He gives us grace upon grace upon grace after sin upon sin upon sin. In view of His rich mercy, what? We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. What is the body? Seems like a strange word to to hone in on. 
But the body represents the totality of our person. It's our whole life. It's our thoughts. It's our feelings. It's our activities. It's the vehicle of all of our expressions. When you think about your body, when you take an assessment of your thoughts and your feelings and what is expressed, what do you see? What do other people see? Living sacrifice. I think we can all agree that's an oxymoron if we've ever heard one. How can one live and yet be a sacrifice? I'm going to talk more about that. Holy and pleasing. The first thing I notice about this is that this is a God. Holy, it just means to be set apart. Set apart for His purposes. Our God is set apart from the ways of the world. And He's sufficient in Himself. I think we know this doctrinally, but we lose sight. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. There's this very self-centric kind of interpretive lens that that we put on when we read John 3.16 sometimes. That God loves us so much that He sent His Son to come and die for us, for me. You know, we just focus on that side of the coin as though He needs me. He's just obsessed with me, really. We have to be careful about that. He is desperately in love with you, but God doesn't need you. And that's what says everything about His nature is that He doesn't need us, and yet He desperately wants us. He wants you. The person in this room that thinks I'm not talking to them, you. He wants you. He's calling you. This is a God, holy and pleasing, a God that can be pleased. We've got to get rid of this view that this is a God in the sky that can't be pleased. He's never, never pleased with what we offer Him. That's not true. God was often very pleased with things that we look at and we're like, why was He pleased with that? But He is. But here's the kicker. He's not easily satisfied. We've talked about that up here before. But we have to continually assess that notion in our life. I assess it in my own life, which is why I say it a lot. Because I I give him some works, I give him some things, and then I pat myself on the back thinking that I've done my deal. And I don't express it that way. When you express it that way, it sounds a lot cruder and nasty and sinful, which is what it is. But what we see here, in short, is that worship in God's eyes is a great deal more than singing songs to him. It's about a whole life laid down for him in worship for who He is and what He has done for us. I appreciate, again, them using the Heart of Worship song um, by Matt Redman. I'm just going to read this, even though we've already sung it this morning. When the music fades, all is stripped away and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. What a neat notion. Because we spend so much time wanting God to bless our heart and make us feel good, and heal us, and please us, and satisfy us. This is a God that we should be aiming to satisfy and please Him. Because He's the one that's really deserved to be satisfied. Longing just to bring something that's of worth. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. 
Maybe that's something some of us need to go and get on our knees today and do and pray. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I've made it. It's all about you. King of endless worth. No one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You're looking into my heart. You're looking into my heart. You're looking into my heart, into my heart. What does God see when He looks into your heart? That's a tough question to answer for a lot of reasons because it's hard to assess our heart, isn't it? It's certainly hard to assess our heart, honestly. Often, I don't want to go deep, that deep within. I, don't, I like to look and look at the good stuff and then I'm kind of done with my assessment. But the real question here is, does God have your affections? I appreciate Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may be familiar with that name. He was an American pastor and theologian that was born at the beginning of the 1700s, so that was the 18th century. And uh, he wrote a book that's a, a, a very famous Christian book. It's just called The Religious Affections. And what he was doing was really just writing a treatise to show the process of conversion, of religious conversion. What does that look like? And he focuses on this idea of affections. For Edwards, a human being, as a human being, you're made up of both body and soul, and your body has five senses, which takes its impressions from the world. Your soul or your mind has two fundamental faculties or power, and he calls them understanding and will. The understanding is the faculty by which you perceive, discern, view, and judge. It tells you what something is. The second faculty is the will by which you like or dislike, love, hate, reject, whatever you perceive that you're understanding. So, for example, if you go to a football game, it's by means of your understanding that you identify the team in purple as, and gold as the Vikings and the team in green and yellow as the Packers. But it's by the means of your will that you shout and cheer for the Vikings and boo and hiss at the Packers. Crucially, it's the inclination of the will that governs our actions. Some inclinations of the will are mild and minor. They barely register at all, kind of like choosing what socks to wear, underwear for the day. Hopefully you choose some underwear for the day. Boo, that was a lame joke, dad joke. I get a lot of boos on my jokes at track from Clay, but I'm a dad, I can't help it. So now Kelsey's joined that club. Thank you, thank you, I know. Um, But listen, some people don't wear underwear. Casey growing up, my, my grandpa would always call him no drawers because he would never wear underwear. So we like to make fun of him still to this day. A lot to make fun of. I think we've shared it, but he also wanted to be a snake charmer and a gas station attendant. So next time you see Casey, you can bring that up. He is a freak. But we all are. That's what you get when you grow up with a dad that stands in front of the TV and lifts his shirt all the way up and says, what do you think of this? It messes with your psychology. How do you go from that to a serious point? I don't know. Um, But it's the the other inclinations, the ones that are vigorous, that are persistent, that are the most alive in your life, like choosing who you're going to marry. These are the ones that he called affections. They're the ones 
that exercise the most vigor in uh, action on your will. So why is this important? I think we all know. It's out of our affections spring our actions. It's not a novel truth here. But I think it's important for us to understand that if what is internal doesn't affect what is external, we may not have much, as much going on internally as we think we do. Or what we think is going on isn't really what's going on. So I invite you today to assess your affections. What is most vigorous and lively in your will? What do you express yourself most strongly toward? And why? Have you really assessed its true nature and its true value? It's kind of like why we, we, we challenge young people to stop saying, I love everything they talk about. No, I like these things. I love my family. I like Cheetos. I don't like Cheetos. I don't know why I use that as an example. <laughs> I like ding-dongs. Anybody still eat ding-dongs? That's a weird thing to bring up. Let's forget I said that. <laughs> but they are good. Um, yeah, it's like a Twinkie but chocolate. There you go. That's a good illustration. In case you didn't know what I meant. Um, I think we have to be careful, though, because often when we're assessing our affections, we just sense emotion, and so we think that we're good and we're healthy. But emotions can be misleading, can't they? It's kind of like running and dieting. If you assess probably our, our heart and our mind, our, you know, and our emotions that are going on, if we could read each other, we probably wouldn't see much that's positive, and we'd be surprised that anybody ever runs or diets at all. We don't have lots of great emotions about those things, and yet we do them. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to look to the strengths of your habitual affections, the tendency of your heart over time. What's the pattern? I think this is what's going to help you spot what most vigorously exercises its power over you, what your true affections are. An example of worship that pleases God, I was just thinking about Paul and Silas singing in the prison. Many of you may be familiar with that. If you're not, I'd go back and read Acts 16. Um, you know, they, they weren't completely justified in why they were in prison, but certainly being in any Roman prison is not a cause for celebration. It's not um, something that would probably cause many of us to, to, to fall on our knees and worship and sing. And yet what they're doing is, they don't know what's going to happen to them, but they do know they've been beaten, right? They know that they're bleeding. They know that they're in chains. They know that they might die. Yet they sing. And they sing in front of the other prisoners. And what happens next? The very foundations of the earth shake and the prison doors break open. In some sense, I would say it's fair to say that this caught... This song, this worship caught heaven's attention. Does your worship catch the attention of the angels and of your Father? We don't all get an earthquake in response to our worship, unfortunately. But we all worship the God who causes the earth to shake. Men and women, full of the wonder of God and His mercies and promises, can praise God even in the worst of situations. And praise God that we get to be a part of community where we get to watch many of our brothers and sisters here do that. I, I'm able to do that in my situation 
um, with the boys being in the NICU and being sick and not knowing if they were going to live and all that stuff because I've watched so many of you do that. And I pray, just as you prayed, that my testimony will allow somebody else to do that. It's not because of my goodness. I've done nothing. God's done everything. How can we praise God in those situations? How can we worship Him even in the silence, even in the storms? It's because God has taken a hold of our hearts, just like He's taken a hold of their hearts. He has all of their affection. He should have all of our affection. It's what Paul talks about. He knows what it is to be with nothing. He knows what it is to have much, and yet he considers it all rubbish. Have you in your heart and mind gotten to the point where you can honestly say that? All is rubbish. My career, my plans, what I want for me, what I want for my kids. Everything I can think of that I think is good in itself, it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. They know that they deserve worse than their situation at hand, not better. They rest their joy on the reality of a man, the Messiah, the Christ, our Lord, that confronted death at its highest crescendo and came out on the other side in all His ruling splendor. It is Jesus who rules over death and pain, not Satan. Did you guys hear me say that? It's Jesus that rules over pain and death, not Satan. Satan may enact those things, but he certainly doesn't rule over them. Jesus will have the last say. It's Jesus who rules over the earth and everything in it and over all of the heavens and everything in it. That was the cause of worship for them. It's still now the cause of worship for us and it should be deep and heartfelt. It's a worship that escapes our lips only because it first escapes our hearts and needs somewhere to go. An example of worship that displeased God. I think we can all agree Cain's worship dis, displeased God. But I, I note three primary shortcomings from, from his lack of worship without going into all of that. I'd go back into Genesis and read that account if you're not familiar with it. But three shortcomings from Cain's worship that I think that we can relate to. Number one, the mistake of believing that God is a different kind of God than He is. How can any worship, anybody worship God properly unless he knows the true nature of that God? Cain didn't understand the true character of God. The, number two, the mistake of thinking that man holds a relationship to God that in fact he doesn't. Cain clearly thought he was deserving of God's acceptance and even praise. We, many of us, I think, perhaps all of us at some time or another, can relate to that, can we not? We think that we're in better standing with God than we really are. And this is not to imply that we're all not in good standing. Many of us are. Um, you know, it's kind of like when we talk about prayer sometimes. I don't name any names or anything. We all, we all do this. Nobody can be exact up here all the time. But it's like when we talk about prayer and we, we talk about, you know, we, we kind of try to set this ideal. I'm not going to say this very well. of Like, you know, real heartfelt prayer. We're talking to God all day long and we're on our knees and we're prayer warriors and stuff like this. And we get people to raise their hand if they're doing that. And if they're not, 
And if they do, we kind of call them out that really nobody's doing that. But I don't agree with that. We do have prayer warriors in here. We have people that do talk to God all day long. And for many of those people, it would be people that surprise you. It's not the people that you would think. And the people that you think that are doing those things often aren't doing those things. We have people in here that are completely head over heels in love with God. And so I want to be careful. I don't want to imply in any way that we don't have those people in here. But we all need to hear that. And we all need to continue to take that step to, to, to our next step in our faith. I don't want to, to give these two options as is that you're either as dead as a doorknob or you're on fire. There's a whole life. There's a whole crescendo in between. That's not the word I'm looking for. There's a whole uh, array of relationship in between. And we all need to be trying to assess where we are on that line and, and take the next step in our faith. Amen? But I just don't want that to be lost on, on our community. I do think we have people desperately in love with God. But my goal here is to call us all higher. Cain didn't understand just how far away from God he was in his fallen state. Some of us don't understand just how far away we are. We are in a desperate, most desperate position before God. It's only because of Jesus that we can approach His, th- his throne. And not just approach it, but approach it confidently. Something that Cain did, but he did it because of all the wrong reasons. We approach it not because of us and our own cognizance and our own goodness, but because of Jesus, who He is, what He's done. And then three, the mistake of assuming that sin isn't nearly as serious as it is. This is something that I can confidently and comfortably say we all do. We all do. I think I've said this probably many times before, but the way that I challenge myself with this is stop trying to rank my sins and just recognize that it's all connected to the same thing. The atrocities that we don't even want to mention with our mouths the things that people do to people in war-torn countries, things that we do to people here in non-war-torn countries, the murder, the violence, the rape, the greed. We are a creative people, and we've become very, very creative with our sin. And we have to remember that God hates sin. And for me to hate my sin, the best way I've learned to go about doing that is realizing all the things I do at at home in secret that I do in my mind, they're all connected to the greatest atrocities that I read on the news. They all come from Satan, and they all intend the same thing. My destruction, my loss of intimacy with my God. I don't want to give that up, do you? I don't want to give up my intimacy with my Christ, with my Jesus, with my Father, with my Savior, with my friend, with my brother. Two, why we worship. I think of Hebrews 10. Jesus is the living sacrifice. I'd encourage you to go read that later. We have a living sacrifice. It was Jesus. He came and lived the life that we could never live and He died the death that we could never die. We lay down our lives in response to the one who laid down his for us. He's deserved it. 
We've been bought with the price. Your life is not your own. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's God's. He bought it. Those who seek to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The sacrifices, as we know of the Old Testament, could never and would never, in a million bajillion years, ever, ever, ever address our biggest problem. Our sin and our guilt. And the weight that it bears on our consciences. And how that keeps us from Christ and His presence. These sacrifices certainly assured people of their ongoing membership with the God of Israel, but they could never affect our inner junk. We need deep cleansing. We need our sins to be taken away and our consciences wiped clear so we can stand before Christ and God, our Lord, in confidence and peace. And left stage enters Jesus. I think of what John says when he sees him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Has there ever been a more powerful statement uttered? He is, as Paul tells us here in Romans, the ultimate picture of nonconformity to the world. The ultimate picture of the mind of God. He is the exact representation of His being. He's the ultimate picture of all that is good and acceptable and perfect and pleasing to the Lord. Shouldn't we imitate Him in everything that He's done? Both in His joy and in His suffering? Both in His comfort and His pain? And I think this is something maybe that we we brush over and forget as well. He is not only the one who we worship. He is the reason we can worship God. He is the reason we can worship at all. Don't you get it? Without Jesus, you could never have the hope and privilege of standing before God, your Creator. Without Jesus, you are without hope. You are in utter despair. Your life has become absurd. He lived the life we could never live. And so I would just ask you, do these truths of God move you to worship Him with your life? And then my last point, I'm going to go quickly through this. I'd encourage you to take notes. And as I always say, I'm happy to send my notes out. If you'd prefer just to kind of stay locked in and listen and not be distracted, I think that that can be wise. And so just uh, grab me after or grab somebody that knows me and I'll, I'll send my notes. And this is not comprehensive, I'm sure, but this is just kind of 10 practicals. And maybe some of these are more principles than practicals. But um, number one, let Jesus define your worship. Don't let your worship define Jesus. And what I mean by that, I think, hopefully, is self-explanatory. But it goes back to what Ronnie talks a lot about, of like, if you get Jesus right, you'll get your doctrine right. If you truly understand who Jesus is, if you truly get down and you get honest with yourself and you get who He is He died for, me, me of all people. And I think we can relate to that because many people have related this to me through the years of just like, I can believe God died for somebody else, but I can't believe He did that for me. Can you relate to that? He died for me. 
knowing all of my junk, knowing all my habitual sin, knowing all of my selfish plans, knowing all of my rebellion, He died for me and still wants me. Let that define your your worship. The mercies of God. I urge you in view of God's mercies. And so the second kind of goes with that, but just fill your mind with adoration for Him. All day, every day, constantly, look everywhere and give Him praise. I think one of the things that, that hinders people, we don't often think deeply about it, but I think is just kind of the idea of the sovereignty of God, of God's power, how He enacts His sovereignty, how He enacts His control and will over the world. And if we don't, we can't immediately connect as though that gift came from God, why am I praising God for it? Kind of like my health, or whatever that is. All good things come from God. I don't have to have His sovereignty worked out to praise God for His goodness. Every good thing was created by God and intended from God. There would be no good thing if there was no God, so we can praise God for all of it. Amen? Number three, seek His pleasure above your own in all you do. Seek His pleasure above your own in all you do. I think his nature here is expressed well in Philippians where he says, consider others better than yourself. How can the perfect God, the creator of the universe, put us above himself? How does he do that? And if he does it for us, how do we fail to do it for each other? Again, he's easily pleased, but he's not easily satisfied. Work with your whole life till your last breath to satisfy your Creator. That's what you were born for, is to worship your God. Worship Him in your service to one another. I think this is one that we do really well, that we want to continue to perfect. You know, it's what Ronnie talks about. When, you, when you're with somebody, when you're at something, just be there. Whether that's a, a Sunday morning church or that's one-on-one, be with the people that you're with. Be there. And enact, enact that axiom, that principle, that truth. Consider others better than yourself. I'm going to make this about them. I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel heard. I want them to feel valued. I think this is still an area that we can grow a lot in. We, we are a very relational church, and we are very one-on-one oriented, but we can still be very blind. And unintentionally, I think, for the most part, thoughtless um, and unintentional with people and selfish. But I can tell you this, I don't first do it for this, but there is a great deal of joy that comes from considering others better than yourself. From blessing others and loving others and getting to know that I played a small part as, as God's handiwork, you know, His tool, um, His hands, His feet, and getting to make somebody feel seen and loved and heard. Worship God in the mundane and in the routine. When you're at home and chaos has rained upon your house and you've got four poopy diapers all at the same time and your kids are all screaming for snacks at the same time, whatever it is, chaos in your own home, we all have chaos in our homes, our roommates, whatever that is, you can worship God in that. Thank God I've got four poopy diapers at home. Do you get what I'm saying? Thank God I have a baby that's in the NICU. My baby's alive. 
But where does that come from? It comes from a heart that's realized I deserve nothing. Worship Him in your trust and submission to His Word. This is another simple idea that I think we, 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 we could spend some time taking to heart is just this idea of opinion versus sense. It's easy. I find myself doing it. I think we all do this. We theoretically know something to be true, but it's not really reached our experience and our sense. Oh yeah, I trust God. Well, if you trust God, you probably wouldn't be this anxious if you truly trusted Him. You get what I'm saying? Does trusting God take away all of our emotion? No, it doesn't. But is it connected? Yeah. If only you'd listen to me, your peace would have been like a river. And that's not just in the decisions that we make and then we pay for it later on. That's in everything, that I'm listening to God and I can get peace from Him knowing that it's He that reigns. It's He that has the last say. He's the one that's going to have His overall will accomplished. And even if I have to deal with loss and pain and suffering, I know that He's the God that will turn it on its head and make something good come out of it. And I can stop questioning if God really loves me because I'm going through this, because I know, as He says in John 16, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, I've overcome this world. The heart that knows God can find God anywhere, A.W. Tozer said. The heart that knows God can find God anywhere. The heart that knows God can find God in the silence. The heart that knows God can find God in the storm. Just four more. Consider your brothers and sisters as you sing His praises. Guys, singing is a part of worship, so when we come here, Are you thinking about the people around you or is it just about you? Is it the right song, the right key, the right morning, you in the right mood? I do all of that. I don't know about you guys, but there's a million things to get in my way. And it gets harder when you're doing ministry and you're trying to look out for other things and make sure things go smooth. And then you've got little young ones that are crawling all over you. It can be really hard to connect. And it's easy to get in your own little silo of your family or your friends, what's kind of comfortable to you. You pick your spot. You kind of go there. You go through the motions. I get it. We all do that. But when you come here, are you really here? We come together as a body of believers to proclaim to one another the goodness of God. Every Sunday, lest we forget it because we are quick to forget it. Sunday to Sunday is not enough. Which brings me to one of my other points. Worship God on Monday. If you're having a hard time worshiping God on Monday, you maybe weren't worshiping Him as well as you thought you were on Sunday. And if you worship God on Monday, you're probably going to be a lot more prepared to worship Him again on next Sunday. Amen? I've found that to be one of the most palpable truths in my life. There's great joy and peace that comes from worshiping God, and you can worship Him in everything you do. Prepare for worship. What do you do to prepare for worship? Do you do anything to prepare for worship? It's a lot of what we talked about. Are you assessing sin during the week? Are you assessing those strongholds in your mind and in your life? Are you worshiping God daily? Are you treating people well? Are you living in lies and secret? Prepare for worship. Deal with those things.
Are you in the middle of a conflict that's not resolved? Deal with it. And then lastly, back to my point before that we can only worship God because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So cry out to the Holy Spirit. If you want to grow in your worship, invite the Holy Spirit into your heart and into your mind and into your life, into your whole life. So I know those are kind of brief. Um, I would hope that you would take some of those, one or two maybe at least, that really connects with you and you would spend some time talking about those. I think that's something that we can do better as a church. Take what we do and we take it out there. We, we sing that song as about outreach and evangelism, but it's also about ourselves that we take the things in here strategically, purposely, and we apply them to our life and they take a lot uh, more effect on us when we talk about them with one another. So in closing, I just want to end with Luke 19, 37 to 40. He says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Don't let stones take your place in singing out the wonders of your Creator. Don't let a stone take your place in doing what you were created for. By the God who thought of you and formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb, the God who knew you before you knew Him, you sing and you sing it all with your whole life. Amen? Amen. God, we love you so much. We thank you for everything that you've done for us and I pray that you continually put your mercies back in in our view and that we can be mindful of those and live in the light of those things. Amen. All right, before you leave, remember we got a quick baptism, so they're coming on up now.